everyone, welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We are back for a very special in-person Olympic qualifier review. Everything is coming up, Tilly's. They defeated Uzbekistan 10-0 to qualify for the Paris Olympics. It's their third straight Olympic qualification. Everything rules. It was a magical night in Melbourne. 54,000 people at Marvel Stadium. Just, there's good vibes all around. Like, everything feels awesome. So we can't wait to get stuck into this game and obviously look forward to the Olympics now that we know that we are definitely going. So before we begin, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today, you've got me, Marissa Lodanik, Sam Lewis, Anna Harrington, and Angela Christian Wilkes. So, besties, 10 nil. Quiet night at the office for yeah, the as you do. Just the 34 seconds <laughs> to open the scoring. Um, I think Caitlin, Caitlin Torpy should have shot, didn't. It worked out okay for her. And then I think that sort of set the tone for the night, right? Yeah. It's going to be goals. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's be honest, right? It was all about Michelle Heyman, wasn't it? Like, Ripper. coming into this series, we're all talking about how do you replace Sam Kerr? You can't possibly replace Sam Kerr. I don't think anyone is saying that now, mm. um, but I think Michelle Heyman probably said it best herself. She's not Sam Kerr. She's her own player. She's Michelle Heyman. She has her own attributes she brings. And wasn't she fantastic? She like, was so Starting, good. like, the, her intent, her aggression. Mm. Um, she's just such a pure striker. I, I just felt like that's something they've missed because we've seen so much, including at the World Cup, improvisation where we haven't had a classic nine with, with Sammy out. Mm. And, just her instinct. One of the goals where she competed with the ball with Claire Hunt and then was there to follow up. I think it was her, might be the fourth goal. She scored many goals. But what a way to, to mark her return to the national team. Um, five goals across two games. Um, has she done enough to put herself right in the thick of things for Paris? Absolutely. I think she has to go to the Olympics because you saw not only the impact that she had when she came on in that first game, in Tashkent, but you saw what she can do when she's given a full, pretty much a full game as well. And she completely changes the way the Matildas play. Agreed. Like she gives them opportunities and, and outlets and, and channels that other players just can't do because they don't have the same kind of experience. They don't have the same kind of instincts. They don't have the stuff that Michelle Heyman has cultivated over a very long national Mm. team career. She is seasoned at this level. She knows what the expectation is. She knows what she has to do. And in that game last night, she like showed a huge array of different kinds of like attacking weapons. She was able to make runs in behind. She was able to drop in deep and combine with players around her. She was good in the air. She was nippy in front of goal. She was like getting on the, at the end of just like spinny crappy little moments as well. Like she was everywhere where she needed to be. Mm. And I think that is what the Matildas really lacked in that first half in the Mm, first game. They just didn't have that player to be there when they needed to be. And so bringing her in and also the way in which she combines with Caitlin Ford, who I think was also excellent, it's like it's a no-brainer to me that, that she has to go. And I noticed Tony Gustafson also talked about her long-standing connection with Katrina Gore, the way they played off each other. Yeah. The way she even combined with players that she hasn't spent a lot of time with, like a, like a Caitlin Torpy. Like two of the goals were Torpy, we'll talk about her in a minute, the brilliant desperation to get across Heyman being in the right place at the right time is those smarts and strikers' instincts that Uzbekistan just had no answers for. Um, I really loved her post-match presser and some of Tony Gustafson's comments as well that the next thing is showing that she can do it against a quality opponent, right? No disrespect to Uzbekistan, but that's not who Australia are competing with for medals um, 
in Paris. And we'll see it against Mexico, who obviously beat the US 2-0 very recently. We anticipate some other... Mm. Mm. Uh, Sorry, US. (laughs) We're not sorry. We're really not sorry. Um, But that's going to be the next thing, right? Showing that she can do it against real quality defences. Because she's doing it at A-League women level and she has done it against Uzbekistan twice, right? She's been sensational. She's ticked every box, answered every question so far. But what I love was she rose that challenge. She said, yeah, I've got to prove myself. But I backed myself. When I got the email saying I'm in the team, I decided I'm not going to let it go. So I'm going to work. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to get better and better. And I'm going to show that I can do it against these these top teams and get myself one of those 16 outfield spots Mm -hmm. in Paris. Spoken like a true Olympian who knows all about the 18-player squad, right? Yeah. But... At this point, you have to pick her for the next set of friendlies. You have to pick her in upcoming squads, and she's put herself right to the top of the pecking order, right? Like, yep. it's, it's just such a good story, and it's it's nice because it's not just a good story because you're like, yeah, Michelle Heyman's back after so many years. She's come back, and she's set the tone, and she's just gone out there and shown what she can do. And she looks in the form of her life. She doesn't look mm. like she's lo- mm. lost speed. She, I like that yeah. she she scored the hat-trick, added a fourth, and then um, obviously got hooked at halftime, having done everything that she needed to do. Yeah, it's just what an audition, eh? Yeah. Um, Angela is the number one Michelle Heyman yeah. fan. Yeah. So. <laughs> Hello. Look at you buzzing over there. Yeah, I think, and it's interesting because uh, we talked a couple of months ago about a hateful tweet. I'm sorry, Sam. It went back and found it, and I'm like, oh, guys, I'm doing journey here. But I think she's looking like maybe that time away from the Matildas was important because she's looking better than when Agreed. she was yeah. um, last playing. Um, and it might be like the sense of occasion of needing to make a statement here and, and get a ticket to Paris. But at the same time, like, I, I wonder if she's been able to spend that time, you know, find, refining her love for football, but also working on all the things she needed mm-hmm. to work on. And she's just like, yeah, I, it is one of those part of me is like, why wasn't why hasn't she kind of been in the conversation a little bit earlier? Because she has been doing well in the dub for a few seasons now. But at the same time, I'm like, maybe in a parallel universe she was called in too early and it just didn't work out or whatever and this is the way that it's meant to have gone in terms of the timing of this because yeah she's made i she has she tony will be getting an email from me if she is not going to paris you know <laughs> um but i am excited I, it's exciting to look forward to the next like couple of international windows and see what she's going to do there um i really like that it's obviously the it's been a bit of a point for the Matildas to figure out how to play without Sam Kerr um and also when playing with Sam Kerr how to play a different game that's just like ping the ball to Sammy she'll mm. score mm. and I think like Heyman is fitting in really well in terms of like she is that out and out striker she's got the clinical finishing um can do a lot of different things but like you said Sam like she she's combining well with other players on the pitch as well um I'm not much of a technical analysis girly but last night it looked like uh, we had like the f- attacking with the front four yep yep and then so yeah um which was exciting as well because then you have like ford in the mix and all those weapons and i think obviously that must have been a deliberate choice to just be like okay let's come out get strong mm. and get lots of goals which we did mm. very nice lovely um yeah, so I, that was very enjoyable as well, and everyone looked like they were firing. Um, the home crowd must have been in boy. But can I just say, I thought I was 38 degrees mm. yesterday, 
And I said to my friend, I was like, we're going to be up in the wind systems. We're going to get the breeze. No breeze. <laughs> <laughs> Which no. is odd for Dockland. Because the there's windiest normally a place wind, on Earth. The windiest place on Earth, the biggest wind tunnel of all. <laughs> I, I think there's that respect for Michelle as well. I think mm. Caitlin Ford, who I agree with you, Sam, fantastic, doesn't show up on the stats sheet, but her movement, that's the thing that sets her and Sam Kerr apart from yeah. other forwards at this level is her movement drags defenders away. She's so smart, creates a space for Heyman. Um, and she, in the air as well, like Claire Hunt and Alana Kennedy did it really well as well. Just an, an extra option. If you don't have Sam Kerr's leap, you know that Michelle's strong at those set pieces as well. And yeah, yeah it, it just excites me the way that she combines. And hearing like Alana Kennedy, for example, talk about she's been away for so many years and she's come back and just slotted in like yeah. incredible. Oh Claire Hunt was like the one to go first to her and give her a hug, and I'm like, oh, camera, 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 yeah, I, I love that. Um, sorry, yeah, this, that was my point. <laughs> yeah, no, and I loved, I loved your point earlier, Harry, and what Michelle Heyman said in the press conference, which is that, like, the the whole context of her being in this team is trying to figure out the Sam Kerr conundrum. Yes, how do you replace this irreplaceable player? Will uh, any option be uh, capable of even doing half of you what Sammy can do? You don't replace her, do you? you? You go for something different. Exactly. And I think that this is what this game against Uzbekistan showed, mm. is that you can bring in a player who doesn't do what Sam Kerr does, she does something else. And that something else can still be effective. It can yeah. still score goals, it can still create opportunities, it can still bring players in. And that's what excites me most. Like, yes, it was Uzbekistan, so there has to be a bit of a, an asterisk over it. But having Michelle Heyman there, I think, showed that we are capable as a team of playing effective, attacking, mm. like heavy metal football without <laughs> without this this star forward. Like mm. this has been the big since the World Cup. We've been talking yeah. about this, right? And pre World Cup, what if Sam Kerr goes down, right? Exactly, yeah. it's been like the big existential terror that we've been facing as a game. Um, and I think what Michelle Heyman shows us is that actually the Matildas are so much more than Sam Kerr. And that if you are able to bring in players with different types of attacking profiles, you've got players around them who can adapt to that and who can find ways of maximising what you've got. So I'm really, really interested to see how they go over the next few windows, as you said, Angela, whether they tee up a couple of bigger opponents in the lead up to the Olympics, which you would expect that they will. There's, what, two windows, two, three windows? Three is three. um, But I think the thing we have to note is the third of those windows is just before the Olympics. So you would think that the squad will be, if not named, close to being named and it will be warm-ups, like, yeah. effectively. Send-offs. And you'd think that they'll probably go with the same approach as what they did before the World Cup, which is finding teams from different, different confederations mm-hmm. that we're likely going to be facing in the Olympics anyway. So we'll probably have a European team there, probably have an African team in there. Well, if you've if you got to pick teams that haven't qualified, England! You want to come back for more? Yeah, that's the way! <laughs> Sorry to England, but not really. <laughs> exactly. So I'm, I'm, I really hope that... Heyman gets the opportunities to come up against these bigger teams and show what she's capable of because I think that her ceiling actually is higher than what we saw um, last night. I, s- I still think we're in a, that annoying position and it's inevitable where Sam Kerr's touch of quality is still going to be something like the big what if. Like when it comes to playing the, the big games, the big teams, yeah. I still think it's going to be something that lingers over because she's a sort of player and Ford has a bit of this to her as well, obviously, that, and Mary Fowler that just needs half a second yeah. and you can turn a game from being totally out of your favour to in your favour. But at least they'll have had a lot of time to get used to knowing she's not going to be there. Yes. I think it's good that she's sort of there from afar, not being brought in. Mm-hmm. She'll be in the stands, you imagine, in Paris. Um, but, yeah, 
Can we talk about Caitlin Torpy? Yeah. Because, <laughs> because four goal involvement, so I don't, again, I'm not pulling the status, but to the naked eye, four goal involvements, creates the own goal, tees up the two for Michelle Heyman and scores one herself. How impressive for this kid. I love that Tony Gustafson said, we brought her in because she was ready. She mm. showed what she can do in under 23, show what she can do in club. We didn't bring her in to be a, a train on to get the experience. We brought her in because we thought she can play a role now. Um, I thought she was fantastic she yeah, last she was night. Like she showed plenty in that first game, but she looked nervous and, you know, passed when she should have shot and just made a few wrong decisions. But last night, I think the ball's still nestling in the back of the net after she made the wrong decision the first time mm. um, when she should have shot and it just ended up in the own goal. Mm. It just seemed like it just freed her a little bit. She yeah. played forward, she played fullback. I thought in terms of posing some questions, um, in terms of those last few spots on the roster, as Tony would say, um, surely it's a pretty compelling case, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think her versatility really is playing in her favour when it comes to this 18-player squad. Um, yeah, I, I thought she was excellent. I think she, she learned – what I was most impressed by is that she learned so quickly from the first game. Yeah, mm-hmm. agree. And it was something that Gustafson noted as well in the press conference. He was like – she clearly was like sort of hesitant in that first mm-hmm. game. She was nervous. She, she overthought things. And she had moments where she had an instinct to do something, but then she second-guessed herself and did something else. But what she did in the, what, four days between games is that she's clearly processed all of that and has begun to trust herself more. And she came out in this game and was just absolutely firing. And almost every she decision she made was great. She had to do something on that 14-hour flight. Like, yeah, she was exactly. probably just there like, all right, how do I fix all of this? This is what we're going to do. Somewhere over like Indonesia or Malaysia, she's like, I've figured it out, guys. Now I'm going to go to sleep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and how crisp is her passing? I yeah. thought that was a real standout. Like she just fizzes the ball so nicely. Um, I know Tony sort of carried on about for a bit about credit to the clubs, but I think you look at a torpy who's been, and I know Melbourne City haven't been winning things, but she's been playing in a style that's valued possession where she's had these roles, um, especially with Holly McNamara going down. She's played a mm. lot more attacking roles. Um, all I've ever heard from anyone involved in young Matildas, Melbourne City, um, uh, even, I guess, Brisbane Raw to a lesser extent, is how hard Caitlin Torpy works. Yeah. Like, always wanting to get better, always asking questions, always thinking about the next way to improve her game. And you could even see with the uh, release that was distributed of her post-debut, she was already talking about things she could improve on, like you said. Right? Yeah. And she put that into action so quickly. I thought she was super. And that, that she went back to fullback for the second half and looked just as strong. Uh, some of those athletic efforts to create those Michelle Heyman goals were just awesome, right? Yeah. Like, never gives up on the ball and it wasn't just like scrappy, I can just keep the ball in. It's like keeping yeah. the ball in and doing something with yeah, it, right? Like yeah, hooking yeah. the ball back into a dangerous area for her teammates to score. It was, it was great. I think the question, once again, she has to do the same as Michelle Heyman and show that she can do it against quality opposition. But the fact that she's gone into that training environment and shown enough that her teammates are talking about her in such a way. I find it so funny that she gets torpy because obviously Caitlin Ford's in there as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I think at City they call her just torpy as mm-hmm. well. Really impressive. 23, yeah. I think, just shows the value of not every player needs to come in when they're 17, 18 and show what they can do. Sometimes it's having lots of senior club games under your belt. Yes. And that experience just holds you in such good stead. You've watched a lot of her, Angela. You've watched a lot of Melbourne City. Over. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, I think this is a great, like, endorsement, um, these friendlies of the dub. And mm. Yeah. Like the importance of it and hopefully it can kind of 
guide conversations or strategy in the dub moving forward because the, these two players are such well Michelle and Caitlin Torpy but a lot of the players in the Tilly side at the moment are a huge endorsement for the importance of like yeah this league um yeah, and also Michelle Heyman's playing in Melbourne on Friday night. Western United. So yeah, people are excited to see game. her do more stuff. Mm. Uh, definitely get out to Caroline Springs for that. Um, yeah, and Caitlin Torby, I just, she seems, she she's very intelligent, but like very mm. understated in like, mm. I guess, I don't know, usually I think of like the real smart footballers as like the ones that kind of play through the guts, but she's, yeah, she's got so many assets to her game and like it's, Super interesting to see her kind of just be. She's just here now. It's like I wasn't thinking about her in the national mm. side conversation because it wasn't really a thing. And she's just like, yeah, she has. Uh, I, would you say a bolter? Is that a bolter? This, this, this. I what? mean, she was completely off the map when we did our big. I was just saying, yeah, she was nowhere near was nowhere when we were talking about stuff. Yeah, but we prioritise versatility and I don't think you get much more versatile than what Caitlin Torpy has shown. Yeah in these two games, especially mm. in this game. And I think the biggest endorsement that she can kind of take is that Tony in the press conference talked about her and was, like, was saying, um, haven't seen someone kind of adjust so quickly and seamlessly since Claire Hunt last year. And yeah. it's like, that is the biggest stamp of approval that totally. you can kind of give someone um, coming into this Matilda's thing. So I think we will absolutely see her in the next window. I'd be very surprised if we didn't. Um because we know that she can kind of do it all, and that's what you need in an eighteen-player Olympic mm. squad. So I'm, I'm putting chips on her. I'm very keen to see what she can do. She can go both sides. She can play on exactly. the left. She can play on the right. What Tony was talking about, how she could invert as well, similar to what yes. Ellie Carpenter does. She was combining even with like Kara Cooney cross in mm-hmm. midfield. She was getting up and back, and yeah, um, yeah. she's fantastic. I think. The closest I was saying off air, the closest people would have talked about her in terms of the Matildas is, Holly McNamara's got a lookalike at Melbourne City and they both run up and down that right wing and commentators get them confused, understandably, all the time. <laughs> a blonde ponytail? Oh, they're just, just when you're watching them live as well, you're like, oh, there's one, there's the other. Um, but like, she's just been fantastic. And yeah, the, to be talked about with such in such high esteem by a very new teammates as well, just I think speaks volumes. It is a credit to... I think Alana Kennedy hinted at it as well, to the environment that you you bring in someone like that and mm. they can just slot in and nail it from the get-go. Uh, just so impressive. Let's yeah. not forget, wing isn't her first spot mm-hmm. either. And yeah. Hand in four goals, just awesome. I think Torpy's um, performances over this window really ask the question now about Courtney Vine because mm. she wasn't selected. Or she Vine was and selected, Nevin, but, right? And Courtney Nevin because they... Vine withdrew for personal reasons. We're not sure why. Um, but given this new um, Matilda's contract structure is, you know, Kaylin Torby's coming, you know, mm-hmm. like what what kind of incentive does this now give to Courtney Vine, who you'd think, you know, six months ago was probably a, a lock, right? But now, I don't know, so her position seems a little bit mm-hmm. shaky now that we've got Kaylin Torby capable of doing both. So the new contract I know, structure. But maybe other people. No, I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So the new contract structure is that um, prior to this year, all the Matildas were on like one longer contract, central a central contract, effectively. So they were paid an overall yearly wage to be a Matilda, mm. and you're on three different tiers of that, depending on how many games you played and X, Y, Z. 
But now what they've done is they've moved to what the Socceroos have, which is a match-based um, payment structure. So every window you get incentivized to work hard and get picked for that particular window yeah. and you get paid based on your appearance in camp and appearances in games. So players have more financial incentive actually to work hard in between windows to try and get selected for that particular camp. Um, and so when it comes to the next three windows, we've got a couple of players who haven't really been involved in the match day squad for a couple of weeks, months, and now other players are coming in sort of mm-hmm. nipping at their heels. Mm-hmm. And you'd think that this changed contract structure is probably actually going to help them, give them even more motivation to work harder and to try and get back into selection conversations. Well, it's also, and I think the big question over the previous um, structure that a lot of people raised was in terms of, I don't want to say selection integrity, but um, in terms of opportunities but being that's given what to... was being... That was implied, yes. Yeah. That if you had a central contract, of course, it's in interest to be picked, right? Because you're already paying these players to play. Yeah. Um, and it was a lot harder to cast the net wide. Claire Hunt wasn't one of those players and obviously broke in. So it did happen, but it was less regular. Whereas this situation means players, one, get compensated well for coming in. Um, whereas previously, say, like if you're a, an Amy Sayer who trained pre-World Cup, and you wouldn't be getting the extra... Stuff for, you know, because you didn't make the World Cup squad. Now you get a fee every time you come into camp and also, like you say, when you play. So it does just cast that net a bit wider that if you go, this player's playing really well. Sophie Harding's probably a good example as well, right? You go, mm. well, we'll bring him in. Caitlin Dolby, we'll bring him in. Michelle Heyman, bring him in. Yep. Like, there is that incentive to players. And of course, a lot of the players are still going to be the same names because we know what level they train at, what level they play at. And I think that's going to be the thing when we're throwing forward to the Olympics is a fair few number uh, players on the list are going to pick themselves. Yeah. It's going to be those last handful of spots and um, not to go full segue, but there's only 18 spots. Yeah. Um, and two of them are goalkeepers. Then you have two alternates. Whether you have an extra goalkeeper or you pick two outfielders is really mm. up to the um, the coaches. But it's about to get ruthless, right? Yeah. Um, Claire Hunt said as much. She's like, it's a competitive environment. That's what you love. Everyone knows that this is hanging over it. But... There are going to be some really, really tough decisions to make, right? Like There are going to be players who miss out that it's going to cause a stir because numbers, that's how they work, unfortunately. Like, 23 does not fit into 18. So yeah. who who do we... Well, actually, that's not the good question. We know who's probably going. We know who's a lock. Who do we fear is kind of missing out or getting, being nudged out by the likes of a, a Torpy or someone like that? I, I think it's, um, we just mentioned two of them, Courtney Vine, Courtney Nevin. Mm-hmm. Um, one of, you'd think Ivy Lewick or Claire Polkinghorn's not going yeah. because um, Tony sort of spelled out how you look at it. He goes, whether it's like five defenders, three midfielders, three forwards, and then you've got to fill the gaps in from there based on whether you want versatility or you want specific role players. I think in an 18-player squad, you don't have room for role players. Mm. You don't, you can't, Gamble like yeah. we saw with Kai Simon, for example, yes. and they should that would be they should not do that. Yeah, <laughs> um, but that's don't. where players like Torpy yeah. really put their hand up. I think it's um, uh, it's going to be really difficult for like an Alex Chidiak to get back in, for example. Even though I think she could have potentially been one had she thrived a bit more on the wing, could have been one of those versatile options. But it just hasn't really worked. I do have some worries about a Claire Wheeler yeah. because she's not been looked mm. at at all over these two games. Um, we know that she's a great... I, I would like her in there just because midfield cover. I think she's a good player. If one of... Um, I think if one of 
Gory or Cooney Cross yeah. goes down. I don't think you or don't even just to give them a rest. Just to give them a rest. Oh, we did see that the rotation things, but also we saw last night the first go to is clearly going to be. Uh, Emily Van Egmond comes in for mm. Gori. We saw Gori get a lot more attacking positions. I think that's something that indicated what they're going to want to do. They want to change things around, shuffle about a bit. I think versatility is going to be the key, hey? We know yeah. that it's going to be... You can probably bank on Kennedy and Hunt starting about every game together, right? Um, you know you've got Charlie Grant there. You'd be picking her because you can play a left, right. I think she's been underused, but it's a difficult mm-hmm. position when you're captain and vice-captain of the other two fullbacks, right? Yeah. But I would, I would have, you have her in there. She's been super at Tottenham. But, yeah, it's, it's some of those players on the bubble that you really don't know. Like, I think it was great that Amy Sayer scored last night. I think she'll be one of those ones that's right on the bubble. Mm. You could easily see a couple of these players be looked at as alternates as well. Yep. And then I think the decision might get made quite late on. Um, uh, but Sam, who do you have? Oh boy, I'm okay. So now that you've said that about Claire Wheeler, I think I and I'm not just saying this because I'm a long time Claire. I, would, I mean, I, I would take her for what it's worth. I would because take, I think yes. we need the cover, and she's performing well. But would and you it's, take her over someone like a Yallop? No, I think Yallop's a lock because she's the most versatile player in that team. And so this right. is the tricky thing because you've got now a couple of midfielders who are quite versatile in those central spaces. You've got a Yallop who can play as an 8 or a 10. You've got a Wheeler who can play as a 6 or an 8. Mm. You've got Emily Van Egmont. You've got, uh, is it Chloe Legazzo even in this conversation? Uh, I don't think she's in it like, right now. Because she didn't take to the pitch this week, yeah. uh, this over this series, I don't sh- She'd have she's... to come with a bullet in yeah. these next upcoming friendlies. Knows, yeah. I know, like, and that it can shame. still it yeah. can still happen. I think there will still be players that can make a late run or that are on the bubble if Courtney Vine comes back in and mm. is in blistering form, for example. I think that's, you know, if you don't want an injury to happen, but like if something happens and Claire Wheeler comes in, plays form of her life, I think she makes herself a lock. I think she should be in there anyway, just because she's energetic. She can run. You know what you're going to get. Great yeah. trainer, great person, great character. Yeah, great. Tournament football is intense. Yeah. Um, I, I think she should be in there. I think it's a lot of those players that um, either haven't locked down a spot or are maybe not so versatile that you yeah. have some fears for. It does. The Neville one really fascinates me because it makes me think that they don't see her as a centre-back option mm. because who do you turn to if... Um, Again, God forbid, something happens to Alana Kennedy or Claire Hunt. Claire Polkinghorne's maybe not in that conversation, having not come on. Ivy Lewick had a few minutes, and you I don't have think, a Nevin. Or is it Steph Catley goes inside? I think, I think it's going to be that. Exactly. I think yeah. I think that's maybe it. Like you yeah. go, well, Steph Catley will play as the extra centre back, and look at us figuring it out on the run. Hey? <laughs> <laughs> look at us. I think that's probably going to be it then, right? And they, yeah. we've seen him try Ellie Carpenter central as well. So I think maybe they say we've got our centre backs and our fullbacks are versatile enough yeah. that you can pull those levers. We saw Caitlin, Caitlin Torpy. We know Charlie Grant's great. So I, f- I feel like they might feel covered there. And yeah. then it's going to be those other players. I think we, we've seen... Um, I don't think we necessarily needed to see Emily Van Egmond last night. We all know what she's capable of. Mm. But clearly there's that. They look at her and they go, I don't think we're going to see her as a six again. I think that, that has run its race, thank God. Thank God. But like clearly there's the, she can be the false nine, she can be the striker, she can be the ten with Kyra Cooney cross behind her. They're clearly what they're looking at her mm. doing. Yeah. To Mickey Allop, um coming on for Caitlin Ford. I really like the combinations between her and Saya. It's a yeah. bit of a unique understanding yeah. they seem to have developed. Mm. And I thought Yallop was everywhere yeah, when she, she came was. on. Um we know they have played her at wing back. I think that might be done too. I think she'll if she's taken, it'll be in her more natural spot. And they'll just want some leadership in there too, right? Yeah, I, that's a good point. I feel like she might be, if not a lock, pretty close to it just because of that versatility. She's scoring goals for Brisbane Royal. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but has I anyone think... been counting? Are we have we flown past the eighteen? I don't know. I'm up to uh, what's this number fifteen with <laughs> two goalkeepers, five defenders. Uh, Give us the list, Karen. Okay, okay. Uh, goalkeepers: Macker and Michael. Yep. Uh, defenders: Carpenter, Catley, Hunt, Kennedy, Grant. Uh, midfielders: Kyra, Gorry, Eve, Yallop, and then Wheeler. I haven't put in there, but that's what we're discussing. Um, and then forwards: uh, Ford, Fowler, Heyman, and Rasso. And mm-hmm. then obviously we have like not on that list at the moment, like Sayer. Torpy. Mm-hmm. Torpy. Yeah, I feel like Torpy. But again, depends what happens over the next few international Lewick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Lewick, Polkinghorn. Yeah. Legazzo. Um, yeah, are the ones that aren't on that list. Mm. And you got Heyman in there already? Yes. Heyman's yes. In. Yeah, no, no, I was just checking. I hadn't yeah. missed her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Torpy's pretty clearly put her name up in lights. Um, yeah. I'd love to, I think Claire Wheeler should go. And then I think it's going to be a really tough decision. Do you take an Ivy Lewis? I, you can also look at two players for alternates to have around the squad as well. Like mm. good characters. Mm. That's um, where I would take an Ivy Lewis. I think. That's where I think I would do Everyone loves her. I would like She's to see, I would like to see a say in the squad. She may well go as an alternate is another yeah. option. Um, but like I said, I think they'll leave that decision quite late. I think yeah. they'll give these players every chance to, yeah, to, to prove themselves or not prove themselves. And, yeah, um, eighteen player squad just sucks. It's so unfair on the players. They're tired. The loading. It's when you see the men's World Cup squad go out to twenty six players, for yeah. example. Last we know, even the men's Asian Cup went out to twenty six. Um, you could just only have twenty three on game day. Yeah, to have this, this still at eighteen is insane. An actual right? conversation now, I think, because there are so many players and coaches coming out and saying that the match calendar is getting to the point that it's breaking players. Even at just domestic club level, there are so many multiple competitions that are happening simultaneously. And then when you think about the extra travel, the extra energy, all the Mm. stuff that it takes, the Matildas specifically to play, because they're one of the most travelled national teams in world football because they have to play in Asia and often back home in Australia as well, when so many of them are based in Europe. So when it comes to talking about the future of the Olympics, there has to be a genuine conversation about expanding the squad size because... If you continue to rely on players like burning themselves out over a short, like a tightly compressed format, like an Olympic Games, which is like, what, two weeks? Mm. Like, it's absolutely insane. I will be shocked if we don't see another major injury from one of these national teams during the Games. Or if not during the Games, straight after when they go back to their clubs, right? Yes. Um, A secondary question, Rosie. Um, We saw the crowd, the sellout crowd. I think, Rosie, your stat was 12 in a row. Yeah. The toll it's taking on the players, though. We saw Alana Kennedy, Claire Hunt. Katrina Gorey come into the press room. She had Harper Gorey as well, but I think she's maybe not so affected by the travel <laughs> schedule. Um, Sleep better on planes, probably, like, Harper. Uh, a friend of the pod, Matilda's media manager, Anna Dong, says it's something like 48,000 kilometres some of these players travel. What, say, like, London, Dubai for training camp, Dubai, Tashkent for the game, Tashkent to Dubai, Dubai to mm-hmm. Melbourne. Uh, this is, we're recording it around 11am on... Um, the day after the game, players were flying out at 6am. Yeah. Like, Alana Kenny was like, got to go get ready for my flight. The, um, we know the players love playing on home soil. The strain that it's putting on them, though, yeah, it's it's gonna it's taking a toll. It's clearly, concerning. isn't it? And yeah. you wonder they'll probably want to have a send off series or something similar. But in reality, that's going to be close to the games in Paris. Do you? How do you approach this when you? That could realistically mean you're taking players out of, say, London or Paris in Claire Hunt's case. Yeah, flying them to Australia for a series and all the way back to Europe again. Like, yeah. 
Surely Especially there's going to be some thoughts beyond the commercial considerations, yeah. right? Mm. There has to be because the players are the product. Like the, you have no commercial opportunities if you don't have players, right? Yeah. Like they need to be at the centre of all the decision making. And like considering the conversation at the moment around ACL injuries mm. is that travel. travel is playing a big role. We don't know exactly what the role is, but it does clearly play a role. The amount of air travel that these players are going to have to do over the next couple of windows is really concerning. They're going to Texas already? Going to Texas for the Mexico game. They're probably going to have to fly maybe somewhere else to play a second team in that window as well. Mm. And we understand that, like, Australia loves the Matildas, the Matildas love Australia, and they sell out all the stadiums that they play at when they're here. And, you know, there's opportunities for brands and sponsorships and whatever. But, you know, we're coming into the last major tournament probably for a, a a core of these players who are getting older this is probably going to be their last Olympics and their last shot of a medal. So, like, what do we actually care about? Mm. Do we care about seeing the Tillies on home soil and, and having some cool off. sponsorship activations? Or do we care pink? about them... Sorry. Yeah, pink. Pink? I do was we, very pleased with that. Anyway, or do we, do we care about them actually doing this thing? Because, like, this is a team that is capable, especially when you look at the other nations who are in contention at the Olympics... We're actually in with a real shot at meddling for the first time in senior women's football. Yeah, we were looking at this um, off air before recording, weren't we, Sam? And you look at, you go through uh, the list of nations, and there's a lot of teams Matildas have either beaten, can go toe to toe with, or not to be so flippant about it, but are due for a win over. Seems like a, a Japan is the obvious mm. example, um, a Germany. You go, these are the teams that you should be able to take it up to and compete with and back yourself to win. And this, it's a really good opportunity. And you go, if you've got a limited amount of time, I know that the um, the club season for most is over by that sort of July point, but if you've got um, a limited number of days with your players, do you want to use 48 to 60 hours of that on travel or do you want to use it on meetings, time on the track, time yep. for players, even downtime for the players? Yes, like, especially before such take, a compressed tournament. It's it's a really interesting thing they're going to have to deal with. And I know the players love coming back here, but... It's, you've got to think about the best way to use it. And it's a conundrum that Socceroos had to deal with, especially with their golden generation when they were all playing at top. Mm. And it's it's one that they're going to have to balance. And, yeah, yeah they're going to have to look after these players. Because I feel like it's such a big opportunity. We heard Steph Catley talk with such emotion about coming away with something tangible, something physical, i.e. a medal. Yeah. Um, Katrina Gorey talked about it. She's probably going to pull the pin after Paris. Yep. I think there's a few other players in that regard. Or yep. be considering their futures, given there's the, the big, um, you know, the having to do it without Sam Kerr already. You want to give yourself every opportunity to go in there with a fit squad, a motivated and driven squad, a well-rested squad yep. that can go in and take it up to everyone, right? And totally. I think there's going to be some big decisions to be made. And, geez, you'd love the squads to be ex- expanded to 20 or something <laughs> like that happened in Tokyo. I don't think that's going to happen. But, mm. yeah, I think there's some some big calls to be made because there's going to be a lot of international windows after the Olympics as well yeah. to cash in. Yeah, mm. yeah exactly right, especially and, if we come home with a medal. Celebration tour. Yeah. And a we year have a whole. Off. I was going to say, we will literally have a whole year without any major tournaments. To yeah. build up to probably an Asian Cup probably on home Asian soil. Cup. Exactly. Yep. So there, there's there's a whole year to be playing on home soil. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting discussion. Do we want to quickly talk just about the Olympics? I know we've kind of alluded to it, but we now know 10 of the 12 teams that have qualified. Um, because of the nature of the tournament, it's like can't really hide anywhere there's no easy game here because it's like here's continental champions galore here are literal world champions spain like there is no 
easy group here. I don't think there's really any easy game. So how do we actually feel about our chances, knowing that we've got, I think it's US, Canada, France, Spain, Germany, Colombia, Brazil, Japan. Those are the qualified ten, and obviously us. We've got the two African qualifiers happening in April. How are we feeling? Who do we think we can get wins over? Like, how does this kind of Olympics look at this point in time, fresh off qualification? Look, at a first glance, you look at this Olympic lineup and you're like, holy crap, this is going to be awesome. Because <laughs> all of these nations look absolutely epic. But when you dig down a little bit deeper, you realize that actually a lot of these teams are quite beatable at it's the moment. Eminently winnable. I eminently feel winnable. Like... Yeah, especially the games in this most recent window. The mm. USA lost to Mexico. They are looking like an absolute basket case, I've got to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Another drive by, for example. <laughs> On this American Orange podcast as well. Um, look, they, they and they don't have very long to fix this stuff, you know. Like, they, they're going through a real series of growing pains in terms of their squad, in terms of their coach, mm. in terms of lots of stuff. I don't know if they're going to find the magic sauce by the time that Paris comes around. So mm. the USA are looking a bit shaky. France is another one. Um, you know, we obviously saw how we performed against them, not just in the World Cup, but also the pre-World Cup friendly they haven't been ripping in this particular window either. They've underperformed in some capacities too. We've got Brazil, who we tend to compete pretty well against when it comes to major tournaments. Touch wood. Unfortunately, they're due. They are due as well, <laughs> so yes. If we're due How against about... many teams, they are due against us. They can get us back in 2027. Can we, can we just yeah, note, right. <laughs> while we're on the topic, I feel like eight years is just enough time that's passed for Barbara to be welcome on Australian soil after 26 I went back and looked and I was like, oh my God, you were so far off your line. How? Oh for I both know. of them. Um, so, anyway, never forgive, never anyway, forget. Anyway, she signed at Melbourne City. Go watch um, the, the dub, guys. Go watch the dub, but, yeah. That's a pretty yeah, amazing sign. Bra- just anyway, barring everything else. We always go toe-toe at Brazil. Yep. Um, I feel like we're due against Japan in a major yep. major window. Um, as brilliant as they can be i feel like there's also some immaturities to their game that we saw when it got to crunch time yeah the they've world got a young cup. squad yeah young but squad, they are also difficult. going to be quite seasoned by that world cup run i think yes um, i agree but yeah. i think we're more seasoned we are more seasoned we are absolutely and yeah <laughs> the seasoning it's japan, there. <laughs> japan were pushed all the way to the very edge by north korea in this two-game mm. olympic playoff series as well which is pretty interesting uh, we've got Colombia, who we haven't played against, but they show some pretty interesting sparks during the World Cup and have got probably two of the best forwards currently going around mm. in Linda Caicedo and Mara Ramirez. Um, Canada, I think, are probably one of the ones to keep a bit of an eye on because they've no, found something. Rubbish. <laughs> well, post-World Cup, I think they've found something else. Mm. You know, and that you know, obviously we didn't play against them with our full-strength team back in December, but... They really looked like they've they're they're slick, they're smart. They they've sort of figured out, I think, a lot of the problems um, that dogged them um, during Some the World Cup. Honest conversations have happened there, I reckon, Sam. And yeah, also so moving too. on, changing of the guard. Yeah, it was a very extended Christine Sinclair farewell yeah, tour was, as well, yes, right? Um, absolutely. It's the new generation taking that hit, yeah. I guess. Yeah, and so that's really exciting. I think Canada are a big contender for a medal. Spain, obviously, um, they just seem to be operating on another planet. I don't, wouldn't be, mm. I wouldn't be sad at all to lose a gold medal match to Spain. I think they're far and away the best national team in women's football at the moment. If so, Tilly's get a medal, full stop. It's a success, right? Yeah, if like, we make it to the match where we're guaranteed a medal, no one's allowed to be sad. Like, yeah, exactly, exactly. If we know oh, they're getting something around their neck, yeah. anything, it just not another third place playoff. My God, I know. Yeah, <laughs> the and to lose match. the third place playoff as well, I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it again. 
Um, yeah, and the only other con- like sort of contenders, I think, are, are sort of Germany, um, who, you know, they did underperform at the World Cup, but I think hopefully they have learned a bit from that. They're looking a little bit better um, in the, the most recent windows, and they've got a couple of really good young players coming through as well. So, yeah, it could be really exciting. And then, of course, then we've got the African teams. I'm, I'm thinking it's Nigeria. probably going to be either Nigeria and Zambia are probably going to be the two that, that go through in these um, these these qualifiers. So yeah, we've got Morocco and South Africa who are in contention there too. But yeah, look, it's 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 a pretty awesome lineup of teams. Mm. Hey, like what I'm just excited to watch every game. What about England? Oh, oh. <laughs> and a drive-by by A. Harrington. <laughs> We're mean on this pod. I don't know what to tell you, okay? Um, but, yeah. Well, I'm excited for these windows to come up. I've, I'm really keen to see which opposition they lock in. Mexico just got that bit more exciting after yeah. their result against the US. I think it's going to be a great sort of litmus test. And they did it not having a heap of the ball. Um, yeah. So the Tillys, something? Yeah, something like that. Mm. It was. It definitely didn't go above 40%. And they had more shots. They peppered them with goals. Yeah. Um, the US really need to work out what they're doing with Haran and Lavelle on the pitch at the same time. Yeah. It's tough. It's when you've got to fit all your best players in, but do they work so well? No Sam Mewis, obviously. Um, but, yeah, I'm excited. I think there's some really good opportunities. I'll be um, keen to see who they play after Mexico because they can fit another game in that window. Mm. Um, I hope we see some sort of fresh opponents. That'd be really nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's it's an exciting place to be. Locking qualification for Paris, it's all folding, unfolding in front of you now, right? Yeah. So, I don't think we've ever looked better to win a medal at the Olympics than we do this year. And that's even without Sammy. And that's without Sammy. <coughs> yeah. Oh, pardon me. Who was in? She was. Uh, what is it when you go to a location and suss it out in the media? What's that phrase? Oh, she's doing oh, a recce. Yeah. She's doing <laughs> a recce. <laughs> she's doing a recce in she's Paris. Doing, yes. She's, she's like Eiffel Tower. Good. Sparkly. Uh, <laughs> let's come back here with a minute. Sammy, Sammy, did we need to do this, Ricky? Claire Hunt lives in Paris. No, no, no. I think this is very important, Steph. <laughs> yeah. Who are we to deny her a trip to Paris? Eat all the croissants you want, Sammy. You deserve Claire them. Hunt's um, home Olympics, as she her put it. Home Olympics. <laughs> I, I love her for that. She's so fun. Um, but, yeah, I think that's us done for today. We love to qualify. We love to do pods in the same room together. Everything's awesome. Big thanks to Alex, who's produced all of this. Um, As always, we're over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, all of your usual pod spots. This one should be on YouTube. We'll see. We'll see, (laughs) says producer Alex. So that's going to be a fun one. Um, Obviously, if you want to chat to us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, go Tillies and Slayers. (laughs) 